that was my first experience of allowing myself to have a voice and allowing it to be heard. That changed everything. Bill Salmon used to say that to me, you know, you get the tattoo you're supposed to get from the person you're supposed to get it from when the time is the right time. Like, that's just how it is. Is there a way that I can help other women who maybe are a little younger or have less experience or less exposure? Is there a way to help their voices be heard? Be so good that you can say, my work stands for itself. My name is Steph Bastian. In my 10 years on the road, I've met many unique characters in the tattoo business, and they all have one thing in common, incredible stories. Stories of past times, personal growth, priceless experience, and of course, bizarre happenings. I want to share those stories with you. This is Tattoo Tales. So you are in New York, yeah? Yeah. Mm -hmm. How is it? Um, well, we're in Brooklyn. Our shop is located in Brooklyn, and we are—we have a house that we just bought this this last year. Um, so we're upstate. So we're probably having a little bit different experience than the rest of our um, coworkers, colleagues. They're actually still in the city and in their apartments. Um, but we can feel the difference even out here. <laughs> yeah, Pretty I can imagine. Let me ask you, you both, can you remember the first tattoo that you ever seen? Even if you didn't know what it was because you were like three or something. Like, What's your first memory of, of a tattoo that you saw on a person? Mine's kind of dark. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I guess the one that, that's most poignant to me is uh, my mom was sick with cancer and she was getting radiation treatments and the doctor tattooed dots um, on her so that the radiation treatments would always line up. And um, I remember just being like more horrified by that than I was by any of the chemotherapy or surgeries or hospitalizations she had had. Um, I'm sure I had seen other tattoos, you know, on neighborhood guys growing up, but I, I don't remember any of them. That that was really, you know, I was maybe nine or something when I when my mom got the radiation tattoos. But yeah, that's you know, it's kind of dark, but it's it made a huge impact. Emotionally charged, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And what about you, Stephanie? Um. I mean, I'm going to say that the first uh, tattoo I ever saw was uh, on my father. And uh, it was like, it's, uh, it's like a little, he did a little hand poke on his, on his hand. Her dad's and, so uh, cool. He did a little <laughs> and he did like the initial of a girl he was dating. And then he met my mom. And then, you know, he was like, oh, I better cover this up. So uh. kind of made it into a big, almost like a big teardrop shape thing. <laughs> But, uh, you know, it's just like this black sort of, you know, blob thing on his hand. But I always thought it was so cool. And I always thought it was really cool that, like, oh, you that's that's so weird, you know. And, and uh, so I always wanted to get a tattoo on my hand, which I eventually did in that same spot, you know. But, nice. uh, you know, so that was that was the first tattoo I, I probably had ever really seen. 
That's a good uh, question. You know, yeah. It's funny because I was thinking about that the other day, right? And I, I usually don't ask this to, you know, to the uh, to the guests, but I was talking the other day because I interviewed recently Robert Ryan and uh, Chad Chad Koplinger, and then somehow these these questions showed up, and I started thinking about when I saw, you know, the first tattoo that I saw. So I thought. You know, for everybody, it must be such a different impression. And especially the, the thing that fascinates me is that even if you can can barely speak and walk, you know, because we all met children or little babies or whatever, you know, and you see how they get fascinated with tattoos, even if they have no idea what it is, because it's something that it, it's either strange, but they're not afraid of it because they touch it and they try to remove it or something. So I always think, you know, there is something that must be ingrained in us. Yeah. You know, from almost like sort of like collective subconscious or something, whatever, you know, something that comes down on the DNA with tattoos, you know, because you can see the reaction of, of babies which have, are like, you know, tabula rasa, just like uh, white paper. You know, so there must be something there. So I always think, how was your first impression? You know, so that, that I like to ask that because everybody has such a different, you know, different uh, recollection, you know. Yeah, very ingrained in us. I mean, I think it's uh, historically we know. That it is. We know that people have been doing this since since we had a brain, since we had a, any kind of a <laughs> and brain. You know? yeah. Yeah. We've, been <laughs> We've been working on ourselves and adorning ourselves or marking ourselves in something, you know. So I do think it is ingrained, very much so. And how did you get into it? Like, how did it start for you? <laughs> Steph's story is more interesting, I think. I really fell into tattooing. Um, it just kind of, you know, it just happened uh, very organically. I met Amalu early in my early 20s, and uh, she was dating one of my best friends. And so uh, when I was introduced to her, it was very much just like uh, I knew her as, a, as just a person and, you know, a relationship of my friend. And uh, she said she was part of a tattoo family that really meant nothing to me at the time. And, and then as time progressed in knowing her, I said, you know, I've always wanted a tattoo. I know exactly what I would get, and maybe you could recommend somebody or something, <laughs> uh, since you know that. And I was in San Francisco. I had moved. I had left Texas. I grew up in San Antonio. Left Texas to make it out on my own, and uh, was living in San Francisco. And she had come to visit San Francisco, and um, so she said, "You know, yeah, I know somebody here. You could get it done by this man I know, Bill Salmon and Junie Diamond." Just the guy. Yeah, just this guy. guy. You know, to me, he was just this guy, you know. And uh, she was like, or we could all just take a trip and we can go to Switzerland and you could have my brother tattoo you. I think you guys would get along and it'd be a really fun adventure. And uh, and I was like, well, I opt for a road trip. So, <laughs> But I was really broke at the time. And, and uh, so I put my little pennies together. And I remember a friend of mine giving me like an extra hundred bucks because he was worried I wouldn't have enough money to, to get there. <laughs> and I didn't know how much he was going to charge me or what. Or, you know, I had no concept. I had never been in a tattoo shop before. I had no reality. I just knew I had this one image that I had very much gravitated to. And uh, and this was in like 1990s. Three. Yeah, this was in like uh, early, early 90s. Yeah, early 90s or mid 90s. But I was uh, I was already 29 years old. So we went to Switzerland. And so my first experience was uh, meeting Philip Lou and Tatine and uh, not knowing anything about who they were, just that they were Amma's, you know, brother and, and his wife. And I walk into their amazing place in Switzerland and their house and Wow, it was just like, 
magical mystery wonderland like nothing I'd ever seen before, you know. Hippie and, playground. Uh, yeah, it was a hippie playground for <laughs> sure. And I, I was just like, this is different. This is something I've never experienced. This is real living like artists. Just, this is what it means to be a real artist was like uh, my feelings at the time. I was making art already and I was working for Tower Records and doing the big wall boards and stuff in, in San Francisco. And so the first tattoo I ever saw being done was this amazing back piece that Philip was doing to finish. And he was working frantically to finish it up so he could submit it to a Amsterdam convention. And, uh, and I was just like, what the fuck is going on here man <laughs> and it was just like in this room with art and everything and music playing and he was just doing his thing and I was just mesmerized I was, I was like just fascinated so anyways he tattoos me the next day and I'm I'm stoked I get this piece you know it's incredible he's amazing we're all hanging out just like sitting on the floor reading comic books from India that his parents had sent and we're just chilling and you know a very european hippie sort of mentality is was my exposure to it uh not the american traditional kind of thing and uh it just felt really right i just knew i wanted to continue getting tattoos from that point and that i had met these wonderful people that were so kind and then as it happened uh my friend and i went to paris because i hadn't been to paris and we went to paris and philip and tatine said you should come and join us in amsterdam my parents are in Goa or something at the moment, and they'll be joining us, and it'll be really fun, you know, it'll be cool, and you can see this convention. And my friend at the time was learning photography. She was like, yeah, I'd love to go take pictures. So we went to Paris, and then we were supposed to stay in Paris for like a week, and after a couple of days, I was like, let's go to this convention. <laughs> it's all about, man. So we went, and we just kind of we just kind of hitched a ride on their on their trip, you know, and we stayed in this little hotel room in the red light district with them and all just kind of hanging out together. And, uh, I met Felix and Loretta and, and then I went to the convention and I saw the reality of who these people were and how like royalty. Yeah. But I was like, <laughs> these guys are like legends. Guys are like the, sh you know, they're like up here, like, you know, in this whole art form. And, and I saw the community and like how everybody just, loved each other and were like making art and that was the focal point the only focal point was like making this beautiful art and the challenges uh around making it it was like no other art that i'd done you know i had done some computer work before i had done you know my own drawing and painting prior and I taught myself to airbrush and things like that but this was like serious permanent no room for error so i just stayed there with them and was drawing and hanging out and by the time i got ready to leave you know, Philip was just, uh, he was like, you know, you're almost 30 years old. Like you've done all these different art things. You should think about maybe looking into it. it could be pretty cool. You know, you could travel all over the world and, you know. How did you feel when he said that? Um, my first thought, it truly was like, uh, I'm not worthy of uh, doing this, this craft. Like I was like, this is, this is like really sacred. serious and sacred kind of thing, you know. And um so my first reaction was like, no, 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 there's not an eraser on the other end. I can't just crumble that piece of paper and throw that away. It's too intense. That's too much pressure. And uh, I, I don't think I'm talented enough to do that, you know. Uh, but 
at the same time, I walked away and got back on the plane and was flying back to San Francisco. And I was like, you know, with this new tattoo and, and this whole new world opened up to me. I was probably still pretty high on the whole ride home (laughs) (laughs) in Amsterdam for many days. Uh, But, uh, it haunted me. It stayed in my head, you know, and uh, I got back to the what if, what if, the what if exactly the what if it could really change my whole life. And it answered questions that I was seeking at that time in my life because I was about to turn 30. I was asking myself, what's next? What's next? You know, I want to be able to travel. I want to be able to just be my own artist. I was doing a lot of commercial graphic design work and I was getting sick of doing that kind of work. It, It felt kind of soulless. I just wanted to do something where I could really engage with another person and feel like that was the only thing that mattered. Like I wasn't trying to sell this product. I was just trying to do something that was a gift or that I was doing my art in relation with this person and that it actually meant something. And it wasn't like I'm designing a logo for toilet paper and it it checked off those boxes that I was sort of seeking. So once I sort of realized that, then I was like, okay, where do I go from here? You can see that right away in the eyes of the customer right on the spot. Yeah. yeah. There's nothing more direct. Person, I I really like people. I I enjoy, I enjoy people's stories and, um, I like telling my stories and I like hearing other people's stories. So I think it was very well suited for me, you know. And Philip was a huge part of that. He, Philip, he Philip and Tatine. Uh, they gave you a lot of guidance and they... They, as everyone that's ever been, you know, influenced by them, like I'm a speck in their life in the multitude of millions of people that they've been so traveled and exposed to. I'm a little flake in the speck of it, but they were a huge influence to me. And they changed the direction of my life. They really helped me zero in on focusing on what the ideas of being a real artist could be. That I can make it whatever I want to, yeah. to make it. You know what's beautiful about that? The fact that this is what your experience compared to them is. And then there is the other side of it where you are, you know, everything is connected in the same way, but the opposite at the same time. It's almost like quantum <laughs> physics or something. So you have the same position in other people's life and maybe you're unaware of it. You know, in the sense of like other artists that got inspired from you or uh, customers, you know, and for you it was like a one amongst many, even if significant, but maybe for somebody else it's completely, you know, you change the course of the life for something, even something you said over a course of a, con- of a conversation, you know. So that is the beauty of it, that we all, there is this crazy game of interconnection, which we can't see because we're limited. We're just humans. It's, yeah, it's, absolutely. It's beautiful. And we do it daily, right, by talking with our customers and and clients, which become friends. And, you know, I think that tattooing really has a magical power. And Mm -hmm. I think that it's as poignant as it was in primitive times. It's equally as poignant. And though it's, it's morphed into something different now, I think it's poignant in that way of connectedness and um, the recreation of, like, uh, owning these sort of, you know, totems and power and how they make you feel and how they make you go out into the world and feel stronger and more yourself. Absolutely. I thought about this like 15 years ago, something when I was tattooing this guy and at the time the tribal in Italy was big, whatever. So this guy was a typical like, not very confident, little chubby guy, you know, not not the type of extrovert. He's a little ashamed of his body somehow, you know, and then he started getting these tattoos and you see all of a sudden like his sleeves rolls up and he, and he wants people to look at him. So now that picture 
which is just a picture, but now he gives him more confidence and he, and he wants to go out there and be like, look at me, while before was hiding. And you're like, you see how much power is, there is in this thing? It's not just a tattoo. That's why, you know, now it's getting more commercial, whatever, but it will never die, you know, because the power that he carries, it goes beyond trends and fashions, which will go come and go, you know, like always. But Absolutely. that is like, it's it's eternal, you know, the power is, it's, you can't compare with anything else. And what about you, Virginia? How, how did it start for you, the magic? Hmm. It's such a winding road. It's not really linear, but I, I was definitely a feral child. <laughs> we, <laughs> we had very little, um, not discipline, uh, parental guidance or overview, oversight. So um, me and my siblings, we kind of, you know, ran amok. And I ended up moving out pretty young. I was maybe 16 or so. And I had already gotten my first tattoo. I, I had skipped school, went with this guy who had a car to just drive around to uh, tattoo shops in upstate New York, which is where I'm originally from. And, um, you know, we had fake IDs, like really bad fake IDs. And we finally, after maybe hitting 10 different tattoo shops, ended up at this one shop. Let me ask you, where did you get those fake IDs from? <laughs> there was it's there was a place that that was in downtown Rochester called McCrory's and if you knew someone you could go and like get a passport photo taken but it was it was just like a laminated uh New York state driver's license wow so it was not on the up and up you know but yeah it's awesome it's like in the movies yeah <laughs> and that's that awesome. was, you know the mid 90s so i don't you know you couldn't get away with a laminated driver's license now. It was it was a lot different then. Could you buy booze with that? I didn't really try, honestly. I was still like I was more doing drugs than drinking at that point. Okay. Um, more doing a lot of acid. Um but so yeah, I went uh with this guy, Brian, and I ended up getting a tribal pot leaf that I, I picked right off the wall. <laughs> and um the guy who was do it was a total biker shop. The guy who was doing my tattoo had one arm. Okay. Wow. Uh, so he was missing. Pretty crazy. Wow. Left arm, like from the elbow up. And that didn't even concern me at all. Like I barely absorbed that fact. You know what I mean? And I remember he, it was on my shoulder blade. And so I was like, you know, sitting over the chair and he made me pull my skin so he had me stretch the skin for him. Wow. You know, and it was one of those stories where, like, for years I thought that maybe I had made it up or or at least exaggerated it a lot. And then when Facebook came out, the guy, Brian, that I ended up going with to get the tattoos reached out to me and retold me the story verbatim. And I was like, I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> and then I asked some of my friends in Rochester that had been tattooing there for a long time about a one-armed biker. And they were like, oh yeah, that dude. So <laughs> this fever dream of my entry into tattooing that I really thought I'd made up for a long time. Like I got validated. How old were you? I was 16. Okay. And I was living on my own already. I didn't really start tattooing until, I don't know, maybe I was about 20 though. I moved down to New York City and I was trying to make a go of it here, but, you know, without any financial or emotional support from your family or someone, it's kind of hard to 
you know, make it happen here. So I moved to Boston and Boston uh, tattoos were just being legalized there. And same, same within New York. I think it was maybe like 97 that they were legalized here, maybe 99 in Boston. So, you know, I was, I didn't go to college or, or, or anything like that, but I was always very much into making art. My mom was an artist. So, you know, growing up, I was really exposed to a lot of that. And I think not having had a conventional upbringing or like teenage years taught me early on to trust the instinct I had that was screaming at me, you will not survive in like a corporate environment. Even like the idea of going to college and like learning in that sort of institutional setting, just I knew it wasn't for me. I did take some drawing classes at Mass Art in Boston, just like continuing education. And um, through there I ended up, or just through living in Boston, I met this guy uh, Rom Hannon, who goes by Fat Rom, and he was opening up the first legal shop in Boston. And I guess like 99, this must have been. And it's still, even though I had friends that tattooed, and even though at that point I had like bigger work, it hadn't occurred to me that, that it was something I could do at all. Even though in middle school I was charging people like a quarter to do a design on them in the lunchroom. All the pieces were there, they just, I hadn't connected them yet. And meeting Ram and his partner at the time, Julie, I'd say they really encouraged me. I worked for Ram for like five years. He apprenticed me. He had a great shop. It was pretty diverse as far as clientele and the people I worked with. Looking back and just, you know, having heard so many other people's stories, I think I, I had a pretty charmed entry. Not to say that there weren't difficulties and struggles, of course, but... I think I really lucked out learning from someone who was very committed to teaching me what they knew, you know. And uh, who were the people that in that time in your area you were looking up to? I think you know, that at that time I was still, like, to be fully honest, I was not that invested in tattoo as a culture because I felt very underrepresented in it, I suppose. Um, you know, I was like a young queer kind of punk kid and most of the people tattooing, I don't know, I felt like very much like an outsider. So I learned a lot of skills and I made good friends, but I don't think the actual magic of tattooing clicked for me until I moved to um, the middle of nowhere. I moved to Idaho um, and I lived there for two years and I worked with this amazing artist, Darcy Nutt. I don't know if you know her work, but she's She'd be like a great person to interview. Yeah, she's rad. She inspired the fuck out of me. And she was so good. And I didn't know that you could be that good at something. I tattooing, I had been tattooing maybe for five years at that point, but it still terrified me so much that I hadn't, I had made zero room for my own emotions aside from fear and anxiety in it, you know, and wanting to do a good job and connect with my client. For me, it hadn't clicked yet, you know, and I think, she taught me so much just about composition and just everything that getting that little bit more confidence, it's like dancing. You, you're like, oh, I know the steps. Like now, okay, I get why this is fun and magical. And then I think the real magic hit me when I moved back to New York City and I had gotten a job at New York Adorned. And that's where Steph and I met. That was maybe 
14 years ago, I guess. You know, New York Adorned, Rom was going to do guest spots there when he was teaching me to tattoo. And it was like the end all be all. Like the Mecca kind of. Yeah, yeah. it was like, yeah. oh man, if I could work there and I made it, you know? And even then, it took me another maybe year or two of working there to be like, oh wait, no, I, I, I guess I could deserve to be here. And I belong. Yeah. yeah, and you know, it was, it was, everyone just has a different journey and path. Like for me, I did not consider myself an artist or really someone that could add something creative to the conversation at all. So I remember like the workload at New York Adorn was, was really intense. And that was amazing because we all got our chops. We learned so much. Um, you know, we could all do any kind of tattoo in five minutes you know it was really busy this was like 2007 so it was the height of like new york city like there weren't a ton of shops and the ones that were there were slammed but i remember very very specifically one night i had to draw like a big tiger for a client for the next day and just being so tired and so like i can't find a chris o'donnell reference that i like and then I had this moment where I was like, what if I just drew a tiger? Like how I would draw a tiger. Like I had never asked myself that question before, which seems so silly now, but that moment was, it sticks with me so much because it really changed everything. I was like, wait, I don't have to draw it like that. I mean, I have that vocabulary now because I've been doing this for long enough so I can use that as my base and my foundation. That's the instant that it changed for me. And that was maybe, I was probably like nine years into tattooing already. And that's when I really noticed a change in, you know, even just in my client's perception, like people coming to me wanting something that I had made instead of coming to me as a practitioner to get something that they were envisioning. That was my first experience of allowing myself to have a voice and allowing it to be heard and reaping the benefits of that that changed everything for me and Steph helped a lot with that we became friends when we first met and we started dating not too long after <laughs> that <laughs> yeah, you know magic happens let me ask you both how has it been growing up in the industry from the inside as a woman so complicated um and I think we are going to have different answers it's a big question. It's a big question. It's a big question because it is multi-layered and it is, um, it has changed from year to year. Um, and it, it changes, changes from setting to setting. From setting to setting. I was just about to say it changes from the people you're hanging with in one year, maybe more than another year. You know, all those things really influence. So I think that, I think that that's why that's always such a loaded question, right? Because you can go the route of like, man, the, you know, we were women, there were only uh, only a couple of us around, and we had to sort of work twice as hard to prove ourselves, and that's true. <laughs> there was an aspect of that, you know, but there's also the aspect of, I also have to look at, like, wow, I had the generosity when I first began by having Philip and Tatine, and then I got a job with, you know, through them, working with Bill and Junie of Diamond Club, so I, I can't say, like, Oh, being a woman influenced that because I was around these hippie, cool people that were just like, yeah, man, just fucking draw just and just do it good and do a good job. And they they had no pretense of like 
male or female being better or worse or any of that. Th that construct didn't exist for them. They were they're true hippies, you know, and just like everybody's equal and like let's all we're artists. Let's have fun and do this. And I was older. I was, you know, I, I was in my 30s when I started tattooing. So I, there was a level of self-confidence mm -hmm. that I had as just as an adult. I had been an art director prior to that and stuff, you know, in, in ad agencies and stuff. So, you know, I had a certain discipline already. So for me, my introduction early was like, I didn't think about that. But I also didn't put myself out there into the tattoo community outside of like, really just hanging with Philip and Tatine when they came in town and they would stay with me or they stayed at Diamond Club. And so my interaction was really limited to Diamond Club space, my house, Diamond Club space, my house, smoking weed and drawing and, you know, watching a Frank Zappa show or yeah, something. You, you know what I mean? I wasn't like, I wasn't going to the conventions and I wasn't walking around all the other amazing shops that were going on in San Francisco at the time. I was... You lived very outside. Of I, I lived very outside of that. I, I was very content being by myself and working in my own space. I, I was used to that. So that was my early experience. And then I also worked out of my apartment in San Francisco for a while. And so I had that same kind of very limited. I decided who I wanted in my space, you know. And at the time, I was one of the few like queer women tattooing in San Francisco. And so I had a very queer uh, clientele. I used to live uh, like south of Market and I used to go to the men's gay bar called The Eagle. And like I was one of the few girls that would just be in there. I started tattooing all those guys that went there because they all became my friends. And so I kind of had a big male queer following. Once again, I didn't have that sort of aspect introduced into it for quite a while, you know. And then I got to New York and, you know, started tattooing. I got very lucky. I, I started in a smaller shop called Porcupine with a woman named Emma, who was from London and a great tattooer and very kind to take me in when, you know, she didn't know me. Like I had built a reputation in San Francisco kind of in this underground way. But when I got to New York, nobody knew me. So she took me on and that was really cool. I worked for her for a little bit. And then I decided I wanted to just kind of work back out of my house again. And uh, so same thing, like more isolated scenario. And then I finally went to New York Adorned um, by chance with a friend of mine, a really good friend of mine named Pigpen, uh, who was a performance artist at the time. And, and, um, she did a lot of work with Ron Athey back in the early days, you know, would get pierced in, in early piercing sort of performance art stuff and had a very amazing collection of work by Alex Binney. So Alex Binney became a very big influence on the style of work that I was exposed to that I really liked outside of Philip's work, who I was madly mm -hmm. in love with. And, you know, Alex uh, is another is another character. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. like a whole other character to meet, you know, so Iconic. so I, yeah, yeah absolutely. Like I, met him I had just known his work through Pigpen and, and from magazines and stuff but I, I really gravitated to the boldness of his work uh, the graphic nature of it was so strong and so one time Pigpen was here visiting in New York and uh, and she said hey my friend Alex Binney who did my tattoos he's going to go to this New York Adorn shop come with me to meet him and I was like oh I've heard of New York Adorn like that's the fucking shop you know <laughs> and um 
there's a whole other backstory about that, but it, it, it's too long to explain. But I had I had attempted to go try to get a job there before. I ended up going with her and met Alex. And by the time that that moment happened, I had already tattooed the other side of uh, Pigpen's arm to sort of try to match a similar vibe. So when I met him, Pigpen said, you know, oh, this is my friend Stephanie. She tattoos and Lori was there and, and him and she said yeah she she did uh she did my other arm and he was like oh wait which arm did I do I I did that arm right or you know and he was <laughs> close enough that he and then he was like no no I did that arm you know that there was a moment where he was kind enough to be like hey you know I had sort of somewhat hit the mark I was like fuck that's amazing you know so and then Lori kind of was right there and she was like no wait you did that arm and like yeah she's like where do you work and I was like nowhere out of my house right now she's like come see me and, and uh she had just I think Michelle Edge had just left at that point New York adorned so she was kind of looking for another woman you know to to fill a spot and that like tribal and I was really into tribal at the time I really loved the graphic nature of it so that's how I ended up getting in at New York adorned nice. yeah. you know when I met Alex Beanie because uh I used to go to work a lot at a shop of friends of mine in Essex, outside of London, and the shop is called Classic, I don't have it. Super nice people. And then one, uh, the girl that was working there, Zoe, uh, she was with uh, Alex, right? So I go back on a guest spot once, and they're like, oh, what do you do on the weekend? I was like, uh, nothing, I'm here. And like, oh, we're getting married, you want to come? Uh, sure. <laughs> so, but they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, it's a costume wedding. I'm like, what? So basically, <laughs> you had to, you know, you had to dress up. So I'm like, okay. So I go rent a costume in because, you know, they rent it. I, I get the first time I find that the, the theme was uh, war and peace or something like that. Mm. So I find whatever fits the best. And then I show up with my friends and I'm like, what the fuck? And they got in the, in the council hall and we're waiting. Everybody's waiting for the people from the previous wedding to, to finish. And you will see basically half of London tattooers yeah. all dress up like maniacs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, seriously, like cowboys, the Dalai Lama, <laughs> rap people, gangster. And I remember Alex Bini was dressed some sort of like a, some Scottish because I think he might have some Scottish. And then Zoe was like a 50s a war, uh, not a nurse, like a military woman from the 50s, you know, like uh, with a uniform. But yeah. uh, and it's funny because we get in the thing and then the, the woman, that, I don't know if she was a... Uh, I don't know what her charge, but she was getting that married. And she's like, okay, first of all, I want to tell you all thank you because you made my day. It was it was mental. So, yeah, that's how I met them. It's like, oh, oh, cool. that's awesome. <laughs> it looks like that's the circus was right? out. Yeah. Like crazy. It's so good. You know, every time she has that, you know, I think it's divine intervention. I think these divine moments happen. And, you know, you meet, you meet the people you're supposed to meet at the time you're supposed to meet them. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with tattooing, right? Bill Salmon used to say that to me. You know, you get the tattoo you're supposed to get from the person you're supposed to get it from when the time is the right time. Like, that's just how it is. You know, it's it's destined of sorts, you know? Nice. And uh, how is it to be together with another tattooer? How is to share a life with a tattooer? Um, to go back to the other question is that I think that I had a good part of my career, like I said, very hippie oriented without sort of the constructs of being a female and, and you know, like have to prove myself in, in this way. But I think that as you grow up as a woman in, in any field, you're already sort of up against that sort of programming to have to work through. 
and we don't even realize it, but, you know, I think that you just, it's an automatic thing, you know. It historically relates back to, like, that, you know, men were educated first before women were educated, right? I mean, it's like they were allowed to go to schools, women weren't, they were stayed home. And so there's this advantage that they had of being, you know, schooled and, you know, knowledgeable before women were. And so those few women throughout history that pushed that challenge or had a father that was in support of education or learning, all that, all those years and centuries have built up. And so I think that as women, we kind of come into any field sort of knowing that we're going to have to be challenged and prove our worth twice as hard because they're going to look at you like you don't have as much experience as we have, which is on some levels true. But, uh, when it comes to art, that's where the divide breaks in my mind. Anybody can draw, anybody can make art. But I think that, you know, as time goes on, there's moments in your life where you're up against those struggles of a male and female sort of like power play that does have to happen and that you do feel like, oh, I can feel them challenging me and I have to mm-hmm. hold my ground and step up and be like, you know, I, I've been gay since I was very young. I came out very young. So like when I got into tattooing, I was very comfortable in my queerness and I was, everyone that met me knew me as that. So I wasn't going to sleep my way to the, to any kind of, you know, top of anything, or there was nothing that I had to prove myself to challenges or, um, I didn't get like flirted with in certain ways that I think other women in tattooing had to deal with. So there was certain energies that I didn't have to face that, like we were saying, were different for probably Virginia, yeah. Uh, you know, which we've talked about many times. You know, I was just faced with uh, really feeling like I had to just be twice as good or twice as you know. So I think there's more layers to all that, but you know, we'll move on from that thing, or you can talk to Virginia about yeah, that. Yeah, I wanted you know. to say, yeah, um, just that question is so broad, and it it's almost it's almost impossible to really answer. You know. Um, and you can really only speak for yourself when you're answering that because every woman has had different experiences based on, you know, their economic status, the color of their skin, size. It's just it's just how it is. I think for me, um, I dealt with a lot of sexual abuse when I was younger. And I think that as a coping strategy and just a way to survive in the world. I was defiant in my own ways, but I was in a way very subservient. Okay, this is the this is the social structure and this is how I'm going to move through the world because I can't fight every single thing all the time. And I don't think it was until I was maybe about 30 and Stephanie and I had been together for a few years at that point and and she was really the first stable relationship I had ever had in my life, you know, she, this, we've been together 13 years, you know, and through the strength of our relationship, I was able to kind of break down a lot of the pathways that I had been walking based on someone who had been abused and been assaulted, you know, continuously. I I just dealt with the world in a much different way. And I think that I missed completely a lot of the unfairness of being a woman. I also missed the benefits that I was receiving, I think, from being a woman. So, yeah, it's so interesting. Like if you, you know, if you talk to people that, that work with us at Saved, 
God, I mean, just speaking with Tamara Santabanez or, or Sophie Selavi or Doreen uh, Gardner, they, they have such brilliant ways of, of being a woman in this world, you know? And I've learned a lot from them. And it's harder now because my eyes are open and I see the discrepancies and I see the differences. I think it's beneficial that I'm just about 40 now. So it, it doesn't infuriate me as much. You know, I can step back and say like, okay, this is what I'm doing. The world is not fair. Is there a way that I can help other women who maybe are a little younger or have less experience or less exposure? Is there a way to help their voices be heard? Tattoo artists of color, instead of being like, ah, it's been unfair, you know, that's not really productive for me. What can I do to try to help other people not have to go through that experience? Yeah, know? I think we've both tried to just um, take that sort of course of just like, I think through our time period, you know, like I said, we just probably accepted a lot of that's just the way it is. And there are definitely moments think, of being a, a boys club kind of thing. It because or, it was just how it was, yes, you know, yeah, you wouldn't yeah. even it was just like you don't question this water you're drinking because it's the water that you've always been drinking, you know, but then yeah. you get like a filter and you're like, holy shit. I had no idea, you know, it, it's also tricky to talk about, too, because then I know that it seems like, oh, they're making this huge generalization that like all these men are bad or have been sexist to them. And, you know, I don't think that's fair either. I know wonderful, lovely men that have really supported my career and my emotions and, you know, have been wonderful friends to me. And we we are all who we are as a result of programming and our society programs us. And deconditioning yourself is really, really, really hard. We all have internalized racism, homophobia, sexism, misogyny, it's there. It's just there. And feeling shame and guilt about that, it's not necessarily productive in the long run as a means to change that. So you asked like a short question, but we could probably- No, no, it's not a short question. And it is a very big question. And I appreciate you explaining. And, uh, you know, beyond generalization, beyond you know, I'm speaking for all women. You know, it was a question directed of what has been your own experience. Uh, you know, obviously it's not everybody's like that. Yeah. It's like my experience has been like this in this moment and this moment it changed and then it changed with times, with places, with people, you know, just your own. We've talked about a lot between us and between other artists, you know, and I think that like Virg was saying before, like we've tried to sort of help the next generation of women that we get exposed to, you know, and do what we can in our way. You know, I apprenticed a, uh, a young tattooer that was very similar to me, you know, uh, a young butchy tattoo, uh, a girl that wanted to uh, that wanted to learn to tattoo, and you know tried to get in in several shops and was rejected, you know, and uh, found me, and I was like, you know, I'm gonna take this person. I don't want to say girl. I don't want to say they, he, she. I want to say I'm, I'm just gonna take this human being. This person is coming to my life, and I see that they have some talent. I see that they have some discipline, and I can see that they really want to become a tattooer. And they've been rejected because of being their sort of butchy natured self, really, because if anybody really did look at the work, you could see that the person had talent. Yeah, um, just been put in a box. And... Yeah, just been put in a box. And so I was like, I'm going to help this person out. So I apprenticed my friend and uh, Annie Lloyd is her is uh, 
her name, and she's got her own shop now. She does incredibly beautiful, meticulous work. I feel a bit of a mini version of me from when I started, you know, and she's she's got this big queer following, and I couldn't be more proud of the fact that she took it serious. She did the hard work. She met all the opposition. She met a lot more opposition than I did, I think, and I think that she has surpassed that and that she's proven herself with just technical expertise and skill is what I really tried to help her focus on and just said, be so good that you can say my work stands for itself. And that's always been sort of my motto too. It's just like, you say whatever you want about me personally, you can like me or hate me. And I'm here and I love this craft and I want to contribute to it. And I'm doing my best to contribute to that. Whether it's life changing or evolutionary changing within the tattoo community or not, the test of time will prove that or not. Or maybe I'm just a small cog in the whole thing of it, but I'm doing my part. And so I think that that's how we've helped. And, and Verge, I think, has related to a lot of women in tattooing that have had more of that experience of more difficulty with a male dominating and, you know, sort of scenario that they've had to be up against that I didn't. So we help in our own way in that regard, you know. But um, as it is coming together, as two tattooers coming together. It's rad. That's been the best part. I mean, that's been a phenomenal thing. I think both of us, you know, you date people outside of tattooing and they don't understand, you know, why, you know, the girlfriends I had before never understood why it's Friday night and like I'm getting out late from working and then I can go by the bar and have a beer with you, but like I got to go back home because I got to draw for Saturday, my bigger day, and I got to do five drawings tonight for tomorrow, you know, so relationships didn't last too long, you know, and uh, our friend that introduced us that brought us together was uh, um, a friend of Virginia's that she had known for a while, Brian Randolph, and when he, she came to do the guest spot, you know, he was kind of like, everybody was like, oh, she's single, what's her story, you know, <laughs> and he was very cute and said, you know, like, oh, actually, I think if there's anybody she might like in this shop it's gonna be stephanie and i was like uh i had a girlfriend at the time i was like i have a girlfriend and second like just because she's queer not all gay people like each other yeah (laughs) doesn't mean we're gonna like automatically click you know but then literally i saw her and i was like (laughs) we automatically clicked yeah yeah yeah, i like knew that she was my person right away and i don't necessarily i didn't define what that relationship was going to be I didn't know if it would be romantic or platonic, but I just knew that she would play a really big role in my life. Yeah, we knew we were significant for each other because we knew that we had found uh, a common denominator in tattooing, but also just our our love of it and our approach was just, we got to enjoy that together, working Mm -hmm. together at, at, at New York Adorned, you know. So not only I have big love for Lori Levin because she... She took me on when no one knew who I was. Same with uh, me. You know, in New York and gave me a chance to shine. And then I met my wife there, you know. It was so much fun. It was so much fun to, to actually date someone that we could, we just talked endlessly, you know. Like we would work all day and then we would meet and have dinner at night. We'd go like, okay, it's 10 o'clock, it's 11 o'clock, we're starving, let's go eat. And then we talk about our tattoos all day, like really uh, cheerleading each other on in our insecurities about what we had done that day or not, you know. And our styles are very different 
which made an interesting impact because she's very traditional American. She was, she was taught and trained very formally and she has that vocabulary down, I think, quite wonderfully. I come from a more illustrative sort of background. I wasn't trained really formally. I was, I got help from Philip and Dating when they came through town and, you know, I got help from Bill and Junie for, you know, a period of time, but I really kind of found my way on my own. I had a lot of trial and error through my experience, but I was more illustrative and fine line. I really got into single needle and, and three needle. And I was like, I really like the tweaky stuff, you know, uh, early on. And I could duplicate things. We had a very different aesthetic. And uh, I think, too, it's just really important to be able to see your partner shine. Think about how many relationships they have different careers. Maybe yeah. they have kids together. So our work in this society, unfortunately, is is a huge defining part of us. And it's a place where we get praise, we feel shame, we, you know, we, we get a lot from our jobs. And so having someone share that with you, and like, I love seeing her successes. It would be so hard to be like, oh, tell me about your day at work. She doesn't have to. I was there. I saw that she nailed the shit out of that tattoo. I saw that she handled that client like a fucking pro, you know? Yeah. Um, and likewise, you know, so, I get to see I get to see how excited. I love that. That's one of my favorite things of um, being a shop owner is very difficult, as we all know. Right. Especially right now in this time with all of our shops being closed. It's very, very hard to not be with your crew and, and do what you do. But one of my favorite things about being a shop owner is I love seeing everybody's work. I love walking around the room. I, I've always enjoyed that. I love like getting up. I did that at New York Adorn. We were all always looking at each other's work and, and you know, and just talking about the craft and stuff. It's my favorite moment when I'm tattooing and then I kind of finish and I get to walk around and see what everybody's been doing. and Or they come by my mirror where, you know, they're they're finished and I'm like, oh, let me see that up close, you know, and wow, amazing and, and see how excited. the It's such an energy, huh? It's such an energy, you know, and you see that they're so proud that they did it and I'm like, you did it, you know, you you made it to the other side of, of this painful event and you look what you got for it, you know, and, and to be able to cheerlead across from the room when you know somebody's having a difficult time and you're just like, you're going to be okay, man, hang in there, you know, it's looking amazing, wait till you see it, you're gonna, it's going to all be worth it, you know, I like that positivity, I want that positivity to exist in, in my environment, it is awesome to like go over and see what she's done in, in that day and to see how proud and happy her clients are and to be able to enjoy that together. To um, share, yeah. Yeah, to share it is, is really been a beautiful thing. It obviously has worked. We're 13 years, going on 14 years of tattooing and living and working together. So I guess that can apply to every relationship. But, you know, when something, if you have a job you should don't care about, whatever, and that takes blood of, of your day, it's different. But if you have something that you put your, you know, your blood, sweat and tears in it, it's a shame when you can't share that 100% with your partner just because they're not into it, which means if you into, uh, if you're a nurse and the other one is an accountant, you know, yes, you can explain, but they will never live it. Totally. While in a situation like this, you know, you are sharing it 100% because you know exactly what it is that you even, you were even there. So you are sharing now with this person their whole life, all of it. While, you know, if you would be a different profession, not so close, something that is so important to them, you will never understand, really. You can understand intellectually, 
but not really because it's you're not part of it, right? You just said succinctly what I was trying to say and took five minutes trying to say. <laughs> I agree with you. It's cool because Wait, um, it's um, it has been full circle. It's like what I loved about when I met Philip and Tatim, you know, and saw them as a family working together, just making art together and supporting each other, interacting with each other and giving advice and help. And, and like I fast forward and I, I actually have it now. And uh, it's, it's so cool, you know, that the hippie in me really, really loves that. <laughs> I think it's important you know, to, you know, to sometimes that's what I do myself because it's so easy to give things, to get used to things, you know, and to kind of like numb to it. So what I try to do with, like, my situation is different than yours, but, but similar for other things. So I try to really keep that in mind and make space sometimes to be grateful for it and be like, wait a second. You know, you're always thinking about your next move or what, whatever your projects and dreams, but the life of your dreams that you were, you know, wishing 10, 15, 20 years ago, it's here now, you know? So I, I think it's important. At least I try to make time to be like, stop. And even if you know it, you know, you're going to ingrain in your brain that that's not for everybody, you know? Yeah. Now, uh, is there like an advice or a, a guideline or, someone, or something that somebody gave you or an insight or lesson that you learn on your own that you find yourself going back to often that helped you a lot over the years? I mean, I think right now for me, the first thing that's coming to mind is very, very specific to the current situation. Um, you know, you don't have to feel motivation or inspiration in order to do something, you know, and that that's sort of been helpful for me throughout my life. I've spoken before publicly about um, my history with treatment resistant depression and anxiety and other mental health issues. And, you know, it is a challenge for anyone really to stay motivated and stay um, productive and producing work. And sometimes, especially this time right now, when there's just, I kind of always feel this level of anxiety. <laughs> and now all of a sudden the rest of the world feels the same level of anxiety. So I feel like kind of normal for the first time in my life. It's really, really weird. And it's unfortunate because I don't want the world to be feeling this way, you know. But imagine most of us have been struggling with how to, you know, stay productive and positive and, and honor it and be okay with it if you don't want it to be productive, you know? So for me, reminding myself, you don't need to feel like this great bolt of inspiration to do something. Just like get up, do it, put your paddle in the water, keep going, you know? And that, that's kind of helped me just try to go through this particular uh, time without expectations. Like, I think that it's a little off topic, but it sort of goes back to what we talked about earlier in the interview about how I think most of us artists really have dreamt about having this much time available to us. But we have this much time available and people around us are sick and dying and we're losing friends and family and our businesses may or may not be going under, you know, so it's pretty horrifying. There's a lot of terror and horror in the world right now, alongside the love and positivity, of course, but. Yeah, it's not just time off. It's time off that it's somehow contaminated by, you know, this black cloud of 
Dot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so having always wanted to have this time to make art, all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, but I'm not really, I don't want to, like, I don't feel like it, you know? And so sort of just changing the expectations, taking should, the word should out of the equation, like you should, I should be doing this. I have this time. I should be doing that. Uh, like kind of erase that word and, you know, just being gentle with myself and kind and, you know, if you're not motivated, that's okay. Try to do it anyways and, and maybe you'll get the motivation or don't and be okay with just reading a book for a while, you know? Yeah. So, I don't know. It's not like that profound or anything, but it's... No, it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. You know, like, obviously, care is different value for everybody, but it's definitely, you know, something that can help you, especially moments like this. I can relate because I, I, I put a lot of pressure on myself that I, I have these standards for myself. I had to do this. I have to, oh, I have half an hour. I should have studied. I should have trained. I should, you know? And sometimes it's like, no, man, it's okay. You know? I and it's a, at all, but I was kind of thinking, I was saying that like and speaking to you almost directly because I, I see your presence online and I see like the amazing work you've done and how you've made yourself of service to, to help people. And yeah, you've um, done an incredible job with that. Thank and you guys. Yeah. Because of you, it's inspiring. It's yeah. heartwarming, but you know, and I, I don't mean to make assumptions or anything, but that's a lot. That takes a lot out of you, you know, it is. <laughs> it is. so I guess when I was saying that, I, I was saying it kind of to you, even though I don't really know you, but like, thank you very much. No, no, you spot on. It's spot you're on. Doing a good job. Like you're doing, you're doing an amazing you're doing a great job. job. So it's thank okay. you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it. What about yeah. you? Yeah. You, I mean, I think I want to reiterate what Virg was saying is like, uh, I don't like doing too many interviews or I feel like oh, I've said my story already. And, you know, there's so many other people new to the business to talk to and things, you know, and, um, but I wanted to do it with you because, uh, you've always invited me to help in these, in these, uh, you know, charity events that you've done. And I'm a big supporter of that. I, I try to do as many of them as I can. I've always, tried to donate money to anything that I believe in. And, you know, tattooing has allowed me that capability to have that extra money to, to put into programs and things that I support. I, I just think that people like you, you really make an impact. You're just as influential as the amazing tattooers that we all know that just do crazy, great work that we all love. But to take the time in the midst of all of that and still try to- To also do crazy, great work. Yes. Yeah. Creative entity and producing all this work. And then on top of it, want to help people and, and, or, and are willing to take the time to organize and do all these things. It's I just, it's a lot. And, uh, and so I always want to, you know, help and support and be a part of that because I think that that's, for me, that leads back to my quote, which is just, we all need each other. In any form it takes, we all need each other. And we need each other to, to check ourselves with. We need each other to, to be there and hold us up when we're feeling things are tough. Thomas Hooper's been a really good friend to me. He's been probably one of the tattooers I've talked to the most through this whole time. And he's really had my back and just checking in on my well-being and supporting me. And we were talking about how great all the work you do 
is. And we need to be there through this and we need to be better people. We need to keep working to be better people, better human beings. We can be better. That's our job, I think, as human beings is to keep evolving and to keep wanting to be the best versions of ourselves that we can be. I really, really believe that. And I, I really try and I, and I fail. And I'm glad that I have people in my life that tell me when I do and hold me accountable so that I can grow and learn. And um, she never fails. Uh, <laughs> I, I do. I do. I, I don't know it all. I, I don't always see all my flaws either, you know. And so I need good people that I trust to show me the way as well. You know, I'm 57 years old. I've learned a lot in my life and I have so much more to learn. I see my gaps. And I just think that it's really important that we really come together and help each other through this difficult time and take the lessons that we're seeing and really progress into this next sort of generation. What can this look like, right? Because I think we've all enjoyed this time off, even in the midst of the anxiety provoking and just see like, wow, look at, look at how the environment cleared up you know, so quickly within months, look at how pollution is gone. Like we need to follow through with these things. You know, we need to not go backwards, but go forwards. And, uh, I think you're one of the people that are really kind and generous and, and, um, thank you for wanting to interview us. And thank you. You know, I used to read magazines and watch documentaries about, you know, people like you guys, and now we are sitting here. So for me, it's a privilege going back to the thing before the life that you always dreamed of, you know, you look at, used to look at these people in magazines and now you're sitting with them and they they they're so kind to make time and and share things with you even even personal things and you know i appreciate because it's a privilege you know and i'm gonna ask you one last thing if you somehow you could go back right with the things that you know now and you could talk to yourself when you were like 15 16 14 before your own life really started and you could give yourself a piece of advice what would that be No, I think I would try to convince myself that as a 15-year-old or whatever that I have value. I don't think I felt that I had much to offer the world (laughs) in general until maybe my early 30s, you know. Um, Just that goes back to like early trauma and uh, depression and anxiety, you know. Um, But I don't really ever think about going back. Like, I almost don't know if I would do that, like, even if I could, because I'm really stoked on my reality right now. I have, I have a relationship that I have always wanted. I have a place to live, and I have lovely friends, and we're, we're able to support ourselves making art. So I don't, I don't know if I would go back and give advice, because I would worry that I would change. You would spoil it. <laughs> I'd spoil it because it's really good right now. But, but yeah, I think just that that I had value and could take up a little more space in the world, maybe. Mm. I think if I I think if I went back to myself, I would probably just say, you know, study more, focus more. I always feel like there's just never enough things that I want to learn. I always want to learn more stuff. There's never enough time to there's learn all enough, the things. Yeah, you yeah. Want. There's yeah. never enough time to learn all the things I want to learn, you know. And I, I keep trying to squeeze as much as I still can in. But I think that would probably be the thing that I would say to myself is just like focus and really study everything because you love everything and dive in. 
pay attention and try to remember it all, you know. <laughs> Keep it all in here. Don't let it, like, slip out. That's know? the hard part. That's the hard part, yeah. 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 You know? Thank you so much. I really appreciate, again, like, you open up and, and yeah, it means a lot. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. You're a great uh, host. I wish I could give you a hug. Oh, me too. We give, yeah. you, we give you virtual oh, hug. Virtual hug. Thank you so much. Bye.